Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. If you're new to the Church RC or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thechurchrc.com. Or we'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the Church RC app, available for free wherever you download your apps. Hi everyone, Brian Sparks here. I'm the lead pastor at the Church RC, and we're so honored to have each and every one of you here today. You've come on a very special Sunday because today we have evangelist Bernie Moore in the house. Bernie Moore has a goal to see one million people in Africa reached in the next three years, and uh, he is very close to getting that goal, and so we're so honored to have him, so please do me a favor, stand on your feet and give a Church RC welcome to evangelist Bernie Moore. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Yay, yay, yay. Now look. Before you sit down, look at all y'all getting ready to sit down. Uh huh, I caught you. I want you to do me just one good favor because we like to have fun in church, right? So if you're sitting next to your spouse, your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, a wannabe boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, you know, sometimes you got to speak those things that are not as though they are. Just turn to somebody and say, You're looking good today. Just so that you're not lying, you got to say it by faith. You're looking good. You're looking good. <laughs> Yay. You are looking good today. I'm saying this by faith. Glory to God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I am fired up. I am so happy to be here. Uh, It's really, really such an honor. Uh, Pastor Brian mentioned in the video that we're believing God to reach one million souls. Pastor Brian met our crusade director back in May, um, and he... My crusade director's name is Drake Kanabu, and he's a phenomenal man of God, very well connected all over Uganda. He is a hero. He organizes our crusades, but he always tells me, hey, don't tell the people. Right now, we're, we're uh, right at 727,000 souls. And he says, don't say that. We're well over that. But I said, Drake, in America, we can only go by the cards that we have filled out, right? I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. No, 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 I'm telling you, no. But we have uh, such a wonderful time going and bringing the gospel to those who have never heard, to those that just don't know. And you guys have played such an intricate part in that. By your obedience every Sunday to come and to give to sow seed, to give your tithes and offerings. We, our ministry, is a benefit of your obedience. And because of that, we're able to go to places where no one's been and reach people that no one has heard of and no one knows, and we're able to get them saved and plant churches and have them grow. Matter of fact, we had a, a recently a crusade that we did three years ago and it was in a city called Koboka where Joseph Coney, uh, the horrific warlord, where he set up his, his headquarters. They had never had a gospel crusade there ever. So we went, we set up a crusade. We had massive, I mean, it was the biggest crusade we'd ever had before. We had planted multiple churches and now those churches are planting churches. So just because of a little seed and some obedience to God, we're able to impact the world for Jesus. Amen. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I loved having your pastor with me this past May. He came with me 
to, uh, to Uganda. We were in Uganda. We were on the border of uh, the Congo and Sudan, up in the northern region of Uganda. We had a great crusade. It wasn't one of our bigger ones. It's okay. Uh, we still just saw uh, many, 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 many people come to Jesus. But the best part of all of that, okay, is having Pastor Brian with me. And I just want to say just for a moment how much I love your pastors. Pastor Brian and Pastor Crystal are some of my wife and I's closest, closest friends. And truly, and truly, I want you guys to know here at the Church RC how much we just love them and how grateful to God we are for their friendship, their support, their encouragement. They are just, they're just amazing. And, and I'm telling you, because you think it's easy. This is your church. This is where you come. This is where you're, you're here every Sunday, and or at least you're supposed to be. And so, and if you're, if you're a visitor, by the way, it, it, it's all good. Just hang with me for a second. But um, sometimes it's easy to take these things for granted. But let me tell you, you guys have amazing, amazing pastors that are just love God, that are generous, that want to see the world saved and touched and healed, see the broken come back to Christ, see broken hearts mended, those who are living uh, in despair and, and, and filled with depravity, seeing them restored and filled with the peace and love of Jesus. Amen? So Pastor Brian came with me, and let me tell you something, that brother's anointed. I'm like, that ain't even fair. How are you going to get them for all these pastors? I've been doing this my whole life, and here you are. And I mean, it's just the anointing of Jesus falls. Then he preaches before me at the crusade. He, you know, shares for a few minutes in the big night meetings. And this dude is just amazing. I'm like, man, give me the mic and go sit down. You know, that guy. But I will say he did cry for Crystal every night. After about the third night, he was good the first two or three nights. After about the third night, I heard him in my room next to me, Crystal! <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. He's going to get mad at me. I'm just joking. I love him. He did say a lot, though, and which I really, I really admire. He talked about you guys the whole time, how much he loves this church, pastoring this church, pastoring you guys, doing life with you, vision, dreams, things that he wants to see happen here in Roy City and all over. It's just amazing. You guys are in phenomenal hands. Brian, I love you. I love you. Uh, open with me to Luke chapter 7, um, verse 36. But before we get over to verse 36, I want to kind of give you some background info on this story. Okay? So just hang with me. Let me paint a picture for you guys because the gospel writer John, at the end of his gospel, he said, listen. Let me just tell everyone who's reading this. Let me let you know that if I was to write down everything that I saw and all the things that I witnessed, all the things that I heard, all the books in the world would not be able to contain the things that all of us witnessed while following Jesus. So the scripture, they just give us the headline version, right? The cliff notes. You can tell it was written, most of it, by men, <laughs> I mean, we, we just not depth. We, 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 don't, we don't dive deep in the conversation. You know, it's, un, it's unfortunate, ladies. I'm sorry. but So a lot of it is left to our imagination, right? So the scholars here, the writers of the gospel, in this case, it's Luke, the physician. He's uh, giving a perspective that the other three writers don't. Luke is, is giving a perspective of Jesus ministering and reaching out to many Gentiles. Matter of fact, he uh, uh, writes in his gospel 
more about Jesus reaching those outside the faith, outside the Jewish faith, than, than the rest of the disciples do, right? Or than the rest of the gospel writers do. And here we find Luke writing a story about a lady named Mary. Now, Mary is from a city called Magdala. So they called her Mary from Magdala. Now, Magdala was on the region by Galilee. It was along the coastline there. But Magdala was known for its rampant prostitution. You guys know her, by the way, as Mary Magdalene. Okay, so don't, let me just, no need to guess. But Magdala, the city of Magdala, was known for its rampant prostitution. Horrific. I mean, just terrible. It was, it was a, a lifestyle that, that, is even to this day hard for us to fathom. But somewhere along the way, little Mary was taught this horrific life. Someone introduced her to this. Someone introduced her to selling her body. Someone, a family member, a neighbor, a mentor, a coworker, whoever, somebody introduced little Mary to selling her body for a lot of money. And apparently later on we find out because of the vial of ointment or oil that she has, she was probably pretty good at her trade. Okay, but somewhere along the way, Mary moved from the city of Magdala to a city right outside of Capernaum where Jesus is ministering. And here is where we're going to pick up the story and we're going to find out what takes place in the day and life of Jesus. By the way, if you guys are writing notes, which many of us, I'm not sure if we do anymore, uh, I'd like to title this message, Jesus Loves to Climb Into Your Mess. Lord, we love you and we bless you and we honor you and we thank you for this morning. Lord, I just thank you for this incredible church. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just do a work in us and through us. Open up our ears to hear your word. Open up our hearts to understand and receive the word that you would have me speak. Lord, use me, a broken vessel, to do whatever you want this morning. We love you. We give you all of the glory. And all of the honor. And I pray that not one person, including myself, would leave this building the same way they came. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Chapter 7, we'll start in verse 1, but I'm going to skip around a little bit just to give you some background again. When Jesus concluded all these sayings uh, in the hearing of all these people, he entered a city called Capernaum. And there a, cent- a certain centurion's servant who was dear to the centurion, he was sick and ready to die. Okay, follow with me here. So when the centurion, when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to Jesus, pleading and begging with him, hey, come and heal my servant. So verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom this miracle should be done, he's very deserving, for he loves our nation, and he's built us a synagogue. Let me just tell you real quick. This centurion servant is a Roman, right? He's not a Jewish guy. The Jews hated the Romans because the Jews realized under the Abrahamic covenant, no one was supposed to be ruler over them. So the Romans coming in and occupying their territory was a big no-no, and they didn't like it. And so this Roman soldier, this, this, this man this, with authority, maybe he was a general or a captain, but he was certainly high up in the ranks, he's got a servant that he loves, And he's heard of Jesus and his fame. By the way, Paul said, faith comes by? Come on, y'all are good. Y'all must have some good teaching here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the centurion hears that Jesus is in town. He's also heard that he's performed crazy miracles. 
I mean, blind eyes opening, really? Deaf ears? Like, we have not seen any of this in hundreds of years, probably since Elijah. What is going on? So he hears these things. His friend Lazarus was enwrapped in grave clothes in a tomb with the stone rolled over it. And four days later, Superman, Jesus, is there. And out comes Lazarus. Because whenever Jesus stands around, whatever he comes around, whatever is dead must come to life again. We'll see that in just a second. So here it is. The Roman centurion, he's like, man, this is incredible. He's got all the influence in the world. He's got resources. He's got money. He's got, he's, he's got a good health care plan. I don't think it was Obamacare, but anyway, so, so here he was. Here he was. He says, hey, listen, I need to get my servant healed. And I brought every doctor I know to bring in and they couldn't do anything. I brought all the specialists I know to bring in. They couldn't do anything. Access to medical professionals was not a big deal for this guy. He brought everybody he knew to bring in and no one could do anything for his servant, but Jesus, but Jesus, when you are at the end of your rope, but Jesus, When you've done everything you know to do, ask the woman with the issue of blood, but Jesus. Anyway, that's a whole nother message. Let me keep moving along here. So Jesus says, hey, it's cool. If he's hurting, I'm hurting. I want to come heal his servant. So Jesus is on the way to go heal the Roman centurion's servant. And when he was still a far ways off, the Roman sends another set of friends to Jesus and says, hey, listen, I'm not a man that is worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. He says, I am a man under authority, and I yet I have authority. So I say to one soldier, do this, and he does it. And I say to another soldier, go here, and he goes. And whatever I say, the soldiers obey. So he understands authority, and he says to Jesus, and he says to his friends who go to Jesus, hey, just speak a word and my servant will live. I love this. He says, just speak a word. I don't need to hear a message. I don't need to hear creative points, five steps, seven keys, three ways. I just need you to speak a word. I don't need strobe lights and fog machines and lights and arenas and Bethel music playing. I just need you to speak a word because whatever you speak, it will happen. It will accomplish whatever you... Just speak a word. Just speak a word. So Jesus, he turns around, he says, oh my goodness, I haven't found such great faith, not even in Israel. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The very place that I should find great faith, I don't find it. I wonder what he'd say about the church today. The very place we should find hope and love and peace and faith and miracles, I don't, I don't see it. I don't find it. So he turns around to the crowd and he says, hey, tell that centurion servant who has faith, who wants me just to speak a word, tell him his servant's healed. And that very hour, his servant popped up and walked out totally, totally healed. Now, what happens? It's nighttime, right? So Jesus goes to bed. The next day he gets up, and here's where we pick up the story. Verse 11, it happened on the day after that Jesus and all his disciples, they went to a city called Nain, and there was a large crowd with him. Verse 12, and when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man. He was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she, unfortunately, was a widow. She was a widow. 
Verse 12, and there was a large crowd from that city with her as well. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. And he says something to this lady that seems a little insensitive. you got to picture this with me. There's a huge crowd coming into the city. Jesus and the disciples. And I'm sure they had Chipotle or Chick-fil-A with them. And they're high-fiving. This is incredible. This is awesome. Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. Look at what happened to the Roman centurion servant. And all these people are following him. In the midst of all of this rejoicing, there's tragedy walking out. So life is walking in and tragedy is walking out. Life is coming in. Death is leaving. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops the the motorcade. He stops the funeral procession. He hears the noise. He hears the weeping and the crying. And by the way, whenever you're hurting, God is hurting. And he wants you to go to him and no one else. Go to him with your problems, with your trials, with your tears. He bottles them up, Psalm says. He cares about the things you care about. He cares when you're hurting. He's right next to you. And so Jesus stops. He has compassion on this lady and he asks her a very insensitive question. He says, why are you weeping? What are you crying for? Now you would think to yourself, uh, Jesus, I I wouldn't go there. (laughs) That woman Cajun, she will come unglued on you. I mean, do not, what do you mean? Why she, she's carrying her son. Don't you see this box with a dead man? Everybody's crying and the sirens and the the whistles and everything else. I mean, you can't tell this is a funeral, but you see, he knew something no one else did. He's the author of life and whatever's dead in his presence will come alive again. That's why I tell people all the time, the dreams that you've given up on, don't give up on them. Take them to him. Put them in his presence. The things that you love, the things that, that, that you have, have, have wept over, that you have prayed over, that you're believing God for, just keep taking those things to him, and they will rise again. He'll bring resurrection power to those things that you've given up on. Don't give up just yet. He sees what she doesn't see. He knows what she doesn't know. He's about to bring this boy back to life and give this woman, this widowed lady, the greatest gift she's ever received. So here it is. He touches the coffin. The scripture says it was an open coffin, thank God. You imagine touching the coffin and that boy hitting his head on the boom. (laughs) Oops, you know. He comes up. And he takes the boy and he presents the boy to his mom. And all of a sudden, all that weeping turned into laughter. Weeping endures for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Come on, we're going to have fun today. So here it is. Here it is. Jesus presents the boy back to his mom. His mom is all of a sudden static, crying, weeping, jumping, dancing, rejoicing. I mean, she made MC Hammer look like a little schoolgirl. I mean, she was dancing. He was too legit. I'm tell- I mean, it was just awesome. So here at this point, revival breaks out in the whole city. And watch what happens in verse 16. Fear came upon everybody. You got to remember, there's a large crowd with Jesus. There's a large crowd with this woman. And then there's a large crowd gathered around seeing what's taking place. So you bring all three of these together, and now we've got the size of, of a Cowboys game, full of sta- a stadium full of people just witnessing what's going on. 
So fear came upon, verse 16, everybody. And a great, and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited his people. Then, verse 17, the report about Jesus went throughout all of Judea and the surrounding region. Everywhere, everyone was talking about Jesus. And here's where we pick up Mary of Magdala. Here's where we're introduced to her. Because after this story, Jesus goes around all the streets, all the lanes, all the different places and all these different villages that are connected. Pastor Brian saw it in Africa. I mean, there's just village after village after village after village and Jesus is making his rounds, right? And these crowds are coming with him. And at some point throughout that day, all of a sudden, Jesus' path intersects with Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. His path intersects with her. She looks at him, eyes ablaze, his eyes full of love and compassion, full of grace and mercy. And he pierces into the depths of her soul because the eyes are the window to the soul, right? And so Jesus looks at her and he doesn't condemn her and he doesn't shun away from her. He doesn't turn his back on her. No, he embraces her. He prays for her. And we find out that he casted out seven demons that had tormented this poor lady for the last 15, 20 years of her life, and she falls out because it's hard to stand in the presence of God. So here it is. The sun sets, and Simon, this Pharisee, the Pharisees right there were the religious police. Simon, the Pharisee, he's really not sure about Jesus. I mean, he knows that there's got to be something special about Jesus for all of these people to come to him, for all the miracles that he sees him doing. There's got to be something there, but he's not sure what it is. Is he really the one? Is he really the one we're supposed to be looking for? Is he really the one that we're after? Is he really, truly the Messiah? I mean, Simon and his boys, his, his little gang, they, they, they're trying to figure this out because no one is listening to them anymore. They're all following Jesus. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, Simon says, hey, Jesus, I want to invite you and your friends over for dinner. Yeah. So Jesus is like, cool, man. That's all good. I'm in. What are y'all serving? You got fajitas. You got tacos. You got, if you're Cajun, you got fried shrimp. You got crawfish etouffee, jumbo, gumbo. What do you got? We're we good. We're hungry. We've been ministering all day. We're hungry. So no, nah, we got some chicken and some lamb, and we're going to go grill it up and, and just come on over. And because it was a last-minute deal, uh, everybody is hustling, and he's got the servants hustling. He's got his friends hustling. He's got family members coming over. Jesus has got the disciples, again, with another crowd around. So there's people everywhere. So here it is. We find out in verse 36 that Mary wants to say thank you. Mary Magdalene wants to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you. She wants to say thank you, but she knows she can't get to him. Matter of fact, she doesn't even know where he is. She's been looking for him and asking around, and finally somebody says, hey, hey, Mary, he's over there. Mary Magdalene, Eminem, he, he, he's over there. And if you want to say thank you, you know, I don't know how you're going to get into that house because that's Simon's house. That's Pastor Simon over there, you know, and you're not welcomed. Somebody like you, 
You're not welcome, but Jesus loves to climb into your mess and turn it around and make a message out of it. Mary didn't care. She didn't care what anybody else said because for the first time in her life, she feels the innocence of her childhood restored. She feels her life has been wiped clean. She feels that there's been a, she's been given a second chance, a blank slate. She can dream again. The sky's clear again. She can hear the birds chirping in the morning. She, she's, she's at a place where she's dreamed of being her whole life, and she just wants to say thank you. So finally, somebody says, he's over there. So she goes and parks herself across the street, waiting for someone to leave the front door open so that she can run in there and see the man who wanted nothing from her but to give her life. He didn't want to take anything from her. The first man she's ever met that didn't want something from her but wanted to give her something she had been longing for her whole life. She just wanted to say, thank you. So finally the door opens. She makes her way in. And here it is. Verse 37, behold, a woman in the city, she was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought him an alabaster flask of fragrant, very costly fragrant oil. She used this for her trade, but she no longer needed it. She no longer needed this fragrant oil. And so she said, what am I going to do with it? Verse 38, she stood at the feet of Jesus weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And this is a little weird. I get it. But hold on. She began to kiss his feet. In the Greek here, it's translated, she smothered his feet with kisses. She anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, when he heard, when he he saw this, he spoke to himself saying, if this man, Jesus, if he were a real prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But Jesus loves for sinners to touch him. He's given the first pedicure. (laughs) Jesus is given the first pedicure. Let me explain this. What's happening? So Simon and all his buddies, they're trying to get the meal ready. They're cooking everything up. He's got his servants and and everybody running crazy and moving tables and chairs and getting tablecloths and napkins and drinks and everything ready. And, and, And all of a sudden, this woman makes a break for it. And she runs into the house of Simon. And in the midst of all the chaos, everybody becomes silent. For this woman's not welcomed in his house. But Jesus says, come as you are. Broke, busted, disgusted, and full of sin. Come as you are. Because you see, Simon didn't realize what Paul would write or later write to the Roman church. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And all need a Savior. We need a Savior. We don't have one. We need one. And we have access to one. And Mary Magdalene found her Savior in Jesus. And so she wants to come in and douse him with love. She loves him ferociously and passionately and There she is in the house that she doesn't belong in, bowing before her Savior and wiping his feet with hot, liquid tears flowing from her eyes. 
There, we see everyone stand still. You can hear the flies and the gnats breathing. I mean, right? It is a moment. No one wants to say anything. So Simon is just thinking things. Here is Mary. She is a bit scandalous, if you will, because of her appearance and her look and her jewelry and everything else. She does something no woman would ever do in public in that day. She uncovers her hair. She takes the bobby pins out. And like she's modeling for a shampoo commercial, she waves her hair all around till it falls down. She doesn't have any towels with her. She wasn't prepared for this. So she wipes the feet of her Savior with the hair on her head. She lavishes his feet with her tears, dries them with the hair of her head, and she kisses his feet over and over and over in sheer humility and utter silence. There's Mary just crying, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for giving me a second chance. Thank you for not condemning me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for not bringing up my past and my track record. Thank you for giving me something no one else could ever give me. I've been on the search for 20 years now, and my moment has been met with you. There, Simon over here and his clonies, his little gang, they're over there thinking, man, if Jesus was a real prophet, he would never let someone like this touch him. And Jesus, you can't be thinking crazy thoughts around Jesus. He'll call you out. He will flat call you out, right? So here it is, Jesus, he knows what Simon's thinking. Simon's like, hey, boys, we got him. He almost had us fooled. We got this man, though, because if he was a real prophet, no one, I mean, no prophet would let a woman like this touch his feet, but they must have forgot about Rahab. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on now. So Simon says, Simon says to his guys, this guy, crazy. This is not the one. We got to keep looking. Jesus, knowing the whispers and the thoughts, he says to Simon, Simon, verse 40, I have something to say to you. Simon says, go ahead. I'm all ears. What you got to say, JC? Come on now. What you got to say? Tell me. Tell everybody. We got you. We caught you red-handed. This woman is a woman of the night. And she looks awfully comfortable around you, Jesus. I mean, hey, what's up? Sinners should feel comfortable around Jesus. I mean, after all, he was known to hang around sinners, tax collectors, and wine bibbers. The scripture says in every gospel, he was a friend of sinners. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead. Let us hear it. Let it rip. Jesus said there was a certain creditor. He's a banker. He had two guys, two debtors. One guy owed him 500 denarii the other 50. Now, we know that one denarii was a day's wage. It's the average day's wage. 500 denarii would equal about two years worth of work. If you exclude all the Jewish holidays and Sabbaths, it was almost two years worth of work. The other guy only owed him 50. So Jesus says to Simon, um, when they had nothing with which to repay this guy in verse 42... The debtor, the banker, he freely forgave both of them. So he says, Simon, tell me, therefore, which one of these guys will love 
him more? Simon said, oh, man, come on. Ask me something that's, that's legit. I mean, that's an easy one. You trying to trick me? That's an easy one. The one whom he forgave more. So Jesus, he says, yeah, you have rightly judged. Good job. Spirit of discernment is working well with you, Simon. He says, when I came into your house, he said, when I entered your house, verse 44, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no water to wash my feet, but I'm a gentleman, so I didn't bring it up to you ahead of time. I didn't want to call you out on it. I want to embarrass you in front of all your friends. But you neglected the most minor, minute things as being a host when a, a guest comes to your home. You didn't give me any water for my feet, verse 44. He says, but this woman, she's not stopped washing my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. We shake hands and hugs. Back then they kissed. Hey, whatever. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I came in. He said, you didn't anoint my head with oil like you normally would do when a guest comes to your house. You haven't anointed my head with oil, but this woman has given me her life's savings. She's anointed my feet with oil and my head from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. She's anointed with oil. Her life saves everything she's got. He says, you didn't anoint my feet with oil. Therefore, I say to you, this woman's sins, which I admit are many, every one of them is forgiven. Every one of her sins is forgiven. Then watch Watch this. She has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Verse 48, he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, and all those people who sat at the table began to say to themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? Because they knew in their religious mind there was only one person who can forgive sins, and that was God and God alone. Who in the world is this in our midst, sitting at our table, that is powerful enough to forgive sins? Who is this at the table that is willing to give us a second chance? Who is this? Who is this? And I love how the story ends when it says it came to pass after that, that he went through every city, Jesus, the evangelist, the missionary, he went through every city and every village preaching and bringing good news, glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 disciples were with him and certain women, watch this, certain women were with him who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene whom he had cast out seven demons. Wow. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him out of their very own substance, which, by the way, at the cross, who was there at the foot of the cross when all these big, burly, 12 renegade disciples left? There was John, the beloved disciple, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. Three days later, when he rose from the dead, who did he appear to first? 
Mary Magdalene. Come on, somebody. When you learn to love Jesus, when you learn to forget about everything else, when he has wrecked your life with love and goodness and blessing and peace and joy, when he has done these things for you, you learn all of a sudden to throw your hands up in holy surrender, to open your heart and say, Jesus, here am I. Because we know that verse 17, John 3, 16 and 17, verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He's not here to condemn anyone. He's here to save you, to wrap his heavenly arms of love around you, to take you from where you are to where you need to go. That, that is the gospel in life form. That is the gospel with feet, with hands, with a mouth, with a heart. That is the gospel. That is the heartbeat of God. That is Jesus in action. And that's why the church, Roy City, exists. So that we can save and reach and minister and love on everyone in this community. From Rockwall to Rowlett to Sulphur Springs to everywhere. Every possible town around us. And that's why we continue month after month to jump on a plane and fly 40 hours to wherever to tell the Mary Magdalene's of the world there's a better way there's a Jesus that loves them there's a hope there's a glorious hope that Jesus wants to know wants you to know that he refused to live without you so he willingly climbed up on a cross and spread out his arms and said this one is for you that's why we as Christians that's why we must be about the father's business to let everyone know At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If this ministry has blessed you in any way and you'd like to contribute financially, you can go online to thechurchrc.com slash giving. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, send us an email at amen at thechurchrc.com.